0: Welcome. It's episode 40 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, Monday, February 27th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast. It grows every single week, and we really appreciate it. I'm Danny Clayton in the studio with senior trader Ken Bellinger. Welcome. Good morning. Also, Trevor Nargis, another senior trader. Welcome to you. Hey, guys. Good morning. So, it'll be a good
1: week this week. We're at the time we're recording this, we just had the durable goods order come in uh, down four and a half as opposed to the estimate of 3.6%. So, we'll see how the market digests that today. Futures have been bouncing around, yields are moving. Um, but, you know, we'll give it some time here and see how things move. Um, but we got a slew of information coming in this week, whether that be through earnings or through economic data. So, let Let's let's start with some of the bigger economic data points that are coming in this week. So we got durable goods orders that just came in. We got pending home sales, consumer confidence, ISM manufacturing, ISM services, jobless claims, and retail earnings. We'll see what happens with uh, those two larger gauges of manufacturing. You know, ISM and Chicago PMI. In Europe, we've seen hotter than expected PMIs, and that's pushed yields up. Treasuries have followed suit so far. We'll see if that continues to be the case. Other than that, on the retail side, it seems like almost every major retailer is reporting this weekend. We got Target, Costco, Macy's, Nordstrom, Burlington, Abercrombie, Gap. You got plenty of others. Lowe's is following up Home Depot from last week. So we'll get a... Decent pulse on what's going on in the retail space, especially with uh, consumer confidence coming in this week as well. But let's pivot into strengths here, Ken. What do you got? Sure.
2: So I think the big headline thus far, and you know, to your point, um, this week will certainly provide a lot more color on that. Um, it's just been consumer strength. You know, Last week, we had new, home, new home sales come in incredibly strong, um, up more than 7%, um, which we had talked about previously perhaps being a bit of a surprise with uh, you know, we had that short-term reduction in mortgage rates into the The low sixes, which you know, if you think over that over a five-year period, seems pretty elevated. But in the short-term basis, that's you know been pretty low. So that's been been a pretty big strength. Uh, Personal spending also came in better than expected. Um, We had the the PCE deflator come in above expectations, which was uh, you know similar to the CPI we saw earlier. That was up five point four percent year over year versus the five percent expectation and 0.6% month over month versus 0.5. The big key there is it seems like you know this is inflation remaining stubborn going forward here. It was a big reversal from what we saw the previous month. Um, which is kind of why we saw some softness in the markets last week. The other reading we got was the University of Michigan consumer sentiment improving, but still at a pretty depressed level, I guess you could could say, in the upper 60s. I think it was 67. That's the
1: thing, right, is that it's improving, but people are still kind of taking a step back and realizing that it's still not in a great place. So, you know, we like to talk about how one data point doesn't necessarily make a trend or one reading doesn't make a trend. So it's taking a couple of these things with a grain of salt and backing up to what you said with mortgage rates kind of declining over the past month. You know, home sales and home inventories are still down when you're looking at longer-term trends. Yeah, we saw a little bit of an uptick this past month, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what plays out here. I think we can kind of get into into weaknesses to keep moving her along here. I think one thing that we're noticing is that we got 90% of the yield curve being inverted. Typically, that's been a pretty good harbinger of a recession in the past so it'll be interesting to you know have that debate around well is this time actually different right does that yield curve point to a recession this time and it's kind of hard to make the argument that maybe that won't be the case just given what you're seeing from companies as they kind of shore up when, you, when you're listening to management discussion analysis on earnings calls, a lot of these companies have started to get a little more defensive and position themselves for a recession. So you start to have this argument of, okay, well, we're prepping for a recession. Maybe we're not exactly pointing there, but are we going to talk ourselves into one? And that's obviously the million-dollar question. But I think that the yield curve itself – being as inverted as it is across the board is a weakness right now. You know speaking of inversions and whatnot and touching on rates, we have the market pricing in three more rate hikes at the moment. and we were talking about that the other day. The money supply growth is declining across the board. And kind of the last thing here, kind I'll hand it off to you, the equity risk premium on the market, right? That factors in valuations, it factors in interest rates, um, but that's looking quite depressed, right? The last time that we saw short-term yields as high as they were, was back in like July of 2007. And obviously, you know, this isn't necessarily the housing crisis, right? You don't have kind of the same things going on underneath the hood that you did back then. But it really points to the fact that yields are up. And then on the equity risk premium side, right? Valuations are stretched, meaning that you're not being compensated all that much over the risk free rate to own stocks.
2: Yeah, I'll throw one last thing here on valuations. Uh, One thing we kind of watch here is is the peg ratio of the overall market. And just for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with that, um, that's just the P.E. ratio divided by the growth rate. So, you know, pretend we've got a P.E. of 15 in the market and we expect the market to grow at 15%. Well, that's a P.E. ratio of one. You know, if we exclude that period of COVID 2020 move... Frankly, it's the highest we've seen in decades, which doesn't mean it's time to sell everything or panic, but it is time to be a little bit more cautious and, and I guess think of it as aware of you know your portfolio strategy, right? Perhaps it's a time to lean o- away from growth a little bit and into a more conservative stance, thinking about maybe more, your more defensive sectors. But again, it, the key is always to focus too on your long-term plan. Right, you know, you know, don't let a, a temporary blip in, in data throw you off your long term plan. I think that's always key to keep in mind when we, we discuss a lot of these points.
1: Yeah, and I think we can pivot into opportunities just off of that. Is you know, Blaine and Jason made a great point last week of there's gonna be some time where growth does start to make sense and it does start to look attractive. Right, that longer term, that longer term outlook on rates, longer term outlook on earnings might start to shift a little bit. You know. Peak rates maybe are finally priced in. Market's starting to look more for, okay, what is the Fed gonna do to to cut rates here? Are things gonna get a little easier for companies to operate? Maybe that's a time where then growth starts to become more attractive. But I think as far as other opportunity sets at the moment, even on that growth name, thinking of companies that can kind of get grouped into growth, but we really think of it as maybe an essential here going forward. And that was, you know we were talking with our chief investment strategist, Todd Voigt, just last week about this and maybe kind of a longer term opportunity is something in something in the realm of what's gonna help enhance productivity going forward. You know, you have declining labor participation rates, aging demographics. Companies are gonna need to optimize their operations to just be more efficient across the board and make their existing workforce more productive. So I definitely think that there's some opportunity there. And Ken
2: You know, that's kind of broad from a theme standpoint. How can that actually be applied? The hot topic lately has certainly been AI and, you know, a lot of discussions around chat GPT and, uh, you know, similar competitors from, you know, from other folks. And if you think back to really about the late 90s, early 2000s, the internet did for productivity gains from that era where perhaps people were concerned about lessening uh, productivity for for each individual employee or employer. So this could be a very similar boost to the long-term productivity, which offsets, you know, perhaps. A lot of what we're seeing in the market short term—it's incredibly powerful tool. If you haven't played with it, I'd encourage you to just go just go play with it a little bit. It's uh, unbelievably powerful. I know it's thrown a lot of wrinkles into you know the education sector for sure. Uh, my, my wife is a teacher and gets to deal with students trying to you know use it for papers and things. But even beyond that, it's just an incredibly powerful tool. And think of it as you know taking your Google search you know to an extreme level in terms of in terms of power and productivity right it's pretty
1: interesting some of the responses that you can get when you're playing around with chat gpt and when you start figuring out actually what it can answer and get to it's 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 interesting to see the road that we're headed down i, I definitely think that there's still a lot to be flushed out there right it's it's so new you're gonna have a bunch of people kind of jumping in but i think on the other side of that productivity theme is going to be some of the picks and shovels that can help enhance productivity. So you have chip manufacturers. We've really talked about semi-cap equipment companies, so the companies that make the equipment that help manufacture semiconductors. I think there's some pretty interesting opportunity sets there. But going back to what you were saying, Ken, on valuations earlier and that peg ratio maybe looking a little lofty right now, I think it goes back to something we've been saying for a little while now, that is just being a little more defensive, right? dividend paying stocks, companies with sound balance sheets that are generating good cash flows. There's definitely opportunity there to kind of shore up right now. And what kind of helps reinforce that point is somewhat going back to that equity risk premium that we talked about right now. You have short-term yields that have moved up so far, and the premium that you're getting paid to own stocks over that is is quite depressed. So it suggests being a little defensive. Not to say that things can't be different and that maybe the market could start to grow into the multiple that it's at right now. But that's one thing that analysts are worried about, right? That's that's the threat, is that analysts are worried that these companies, they aren't likely to have that earnings growth that we've seen in the past. It makes things not as, not as easy to justify from a multiple standpoint going
2: forward. So let's pivot into threats here, Ken. What do you got? called the big headline here is this kind of the, the rate hikes and their eventual impact on on growth a couple of points we've got here you know fundamentals could be you know a bit more a surprise to the downside with technicals sending very bullish signals really since October could be a signal at the wrong time if you will as you know we're in an environment of increasing rates. I mean, as we just discussed, you know, a couple minutes earlier, those rate hikes. You know, are, we're now expecting another three this year. That has an impact. That's going to certainly suppress growth as the cost of capital increases for companies, which puts pressure on income margins, which should eventually, you know, lead into over into your peer PE ratios falling. Other things we have right now, uh, like you mentioned, you know, maybe the market doesn't grow into these current multiples we're at. You know, not that the valuations are necessarily or higher valuations aren't, you know, a bad thing. But earnings have to be able to grow to justify the multiple, and I think we're expecting some pressure on that side. And one thing to take into account too
1: is right that sometimes people assume that just because something has a high multiple that oh that's that's not necessarily justified it shouldn't be trading at at that sort of multiple and you got to factor in with growthier companies you have to factor in just that growth so earnings growth so if you're factoring in an earnings growth rate maybe in five years the company very well could grow into its current multiple and it makes sense but right now that goes back to what you just said and what i said earlier is that right now people are worried about growth across the board and if growth is lacking and you have this environment where you're going to have more of a steady grind because rates have to stay higher for longer and it and the Fed is you know, trying to slow things down because right now it's pretty clear that they're really focused on inflation. So if they're raising rates to try and slow activity down across the board, well, it's going to make financing costs increase. For companies, it's going to be a little tougher for them to operate, you know, relative to an environment where you have near zero rates. So the confluence of all that, it makes the outlook for growth not as rosy as it once has been. And that's why you see analysts cutting estimates,
2: not just this year, but even for earnings in the next three to five years. One wrinkle the Fed um, might have to play with that perhaps isn't hasn't been discussed a whole lot. I think perhaps we've discussed it before. I know we definitely have internally. Because you know, over the past couple of years, you saw on the consumer side so many households lock in mortgages you know in the 3% or even sub 3 in many cases rate where historically when in when the fed's raising rates that more directly bleeds over into to the consumer through those mortgages which perhaps weren't at a fixed rate back then well so many people locked into those low rates now is doing two things one it's suppressing the housing supply which is keeping prices high because you know, if if you're at a sub 3% mortgage to go take out something north of six now, you know, it's a significant impact on the payment. But number two, if you're staying in place, higher rates has actually been good for you in the sense that literally clients can now, you know, if they wanted to, instead of prepaying their mortgage, go buy treasuries and actually make money off of that as opposed to paying their mortgage early. Um, So it hasn't pressured households as much as it would traditionally. Right. And I think a lot of people made a excellent trade in that
1: sense of locking in an extremely low rate, and they're just able to, to sit and hold there. I think what we've kind of seen be impacted a little more from increasing rates has been, and I know it's not as big of, a, of an indicator or as big of a chunk of the pie as the housing market is, but um, we've been talking and watching kind of the auto loan market, right? You start to see uh, defaults increase there, you're going to see repos increase you know the the average monthly payment has just skyrocketed on those car loans. So you're seeing it in that sense, but you're absolutely right when you say it's we're not seeing the housing market like we're quite used to. And we're, we're seeing pockets of it right like through inventories and overall activity. We're seeing it in that sense but people aren't necessarily being as squeezed on their mortgage payments um, from a rate standpoint as they once were one of the final threats that I wanted to hammer hammer on here was that maybe the Fed does have more room to hike rates, right? Overall, since we've started this hiking cycle, the economy's actually been pretty resilient, right? Corporate earnings were actually still pretty resilient. Yeah, you saw a bit of a hit, but typically when... You have rising rates and you have inflation hot. It's typically always going to impact earnings. But on a relative basis, economic data and earnings data has been quite strong. So it begs the question, does the Fed have more room to go? Right? We talked a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned this a few times, that financial conditions actually were hitting a point where they were easier than they were before the Fed started its hiking cycle, and obviously that's a factor of many other things such as liquidity metrics. Um, you know, what's helped boost liquidity in the system has been the Bank of Japan, and Bank of China intervening, right, and stimulating their economies. Um, so that's helped kind of offset some of the hawkishness that's been coming from the U.S. Federal Reserve. But we'll see, right? Ultimately, the threat is that the Fed has much. More room to go, and they have to hike even higher, and that just creates more of an environment for a steady grind here going forward. That's really been the battle that you know we even just lightly touched on earlier is that you have this discrepancy of people who have been conditioned to kind of buy the dip at any point over the last 15 years, but then that realistic hey, the outlook isn't as great, growth maybe isn't going to be as great here going forward. Um, and you just have kind of this battle right now with technicians and analysts and, you know, traditional kind of mainstream investors who are used to maybe just going in and, and DCAing and buying the market every now and then versus now maybe an approach that encourages one to be a little more nimble, be a little more
2: tactical. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here. And we'll do some headlines. Headline strength, guys. Consumer strength. Been incredibly resilient through this rate hike cycle. Headline weakness. Further rate hikes
1: are
0: likely, and the market is pricing that in right now. Headline opportunity. AI and potential productivity gains going forward. And that headline threat. Growth continues to slow. Ken Bellinger, senior trader. Thanks. Thank you. Trevor Narges, senior trader. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Episode 40, Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Thanks for listening.